welcome to What May Seem. My name is Host, and your reflection, it doesn't look quite right, does it? Hello, dear listeners. I must apologize for my hasty exit at the end of last week's episode. Miguel called me with urgent information that was actually relevant to the story I was trying to tell, but it won't make sense for a bit. It may surprise you to learn that we've actually returned to Potts Gulch and are currently staying in a small cabin with only one bedroom. Miguel is making me sleep on the couch. He says he needs the bed because he has a bad back. Bitch. Anyway. We're back in Potsculch, but the reason is far from that of our last trip of festivity and laughter. No, we are here on a mission to uncover that which has been lurking in the darkness and eating our world from the inside out. Time for a Daryl update. He is thriving. That's about it. I've expanded his diet from just cat food to include other things like fruits, nuts, berries, and the occasional eggs and crawfish as a treat. He is happy, and has been seemingly shifting his nocturnal schedule to better accommodate my sort of nocturnal schedule, which includes waking up later and possibly going to sleep at some point in the early morning. All in all, he continues to be perfect and wonderful, and I love him dearly. When we last left off, Miguel, Daryl, and I had been attempting to take a nice day trip to the sunlit forest which I frequented during my youth, but despite following very careful directions devised by yours truly, we arrived at a forest that was very clearly not the sunlit forest. It was dark, twisted. It looked like the other forest. This resemblance chilled me to my very bone, and insistent that we had taken a wrong turn along our route, I turned the car around and drove all the way back into the heart of Potts Gulch. It was there that we found a kind local, whom we asked for detailed directions that would take us to the south trail entrance of the sunlit forest. The directions provided by the local matched mine identically. Regardless, we set out again, following the new directions. We ended up in the same place. I had no choice but to come to terms with the fact that something had happened to the sunlit forest. A place that was once so safe and gorgeous that children were allowed to roam freely amongst the trees. And there it was, looming above me as though it was taunting me about the pain and injury I suffered by its twin. I had always thought that the other forest was an anomaly. Not the kind you try to understand, but rather the kind that makes you... Check the lock on your front door just to be certain that it's secure, or pull your covers a little tighter at night. There are things in this world that, no matter how hard we try and how much we want, we will never understand. 
The unknown is terrifying and all-powerful. And standing there in the shadow of something that was so corrupted it was unrecognizable, I found myself facing the unknown again. Miguel, on the other hand, was just confused. He had never seen the sunlit forest in all its glory, only heard about it from my tales from my childhood, and so he was unable to notice the horrifying difference. Daryl seemed uneasy, but otherwise unaffected. In my efforts to rationalize the terrifying reality in front of me with the rose-colored memories of my past, a certain story came to mind. One that you, dear listeners, might recall. In episode two, The Study of Things, I told a story from my youth in which I followed a mysterious rustling deep into the sunlit forest and discovered that as I trekked into the trees, my environment changed. In fact, I realize now that when it changed, it resembled the other forest. It was there, deep in the woods, that I encountered some sort of beast that I was unable to identify then, and am unable to identify now. That experience has haunted me. It was my first failure. A failure that seemed to follow me later in life, as evident by my defeat and torture at the intangible hands of the other forest. It's safe to say that I hold a bit of a grudge. I tried my best to explain this to Miguel, telling him the story from my youth and reminding him of my escapades in the other forest and the misfortune it had wrought. He was concerned, and I could tell a bit frightened, but nevertheless suggested that we do what we went into thousands of dollars of debt to learn how to do, and study the shit out of that dang forest. We didn't go deep into the trees, for I feared the beast that I had encountered in my youth, but we managed to gather quite a bit of information from the edge of the forest. Miguel examined the plants, as they are his area of expertise, and I looked around at everything, which was mostly also plants, trying to draw similarities between this forest and the other forest. There were many. The plants were dark shades of green and purple. The bark of the trees was sticky in the way that only something covered in thousands of tiny, little needles is sticky. And when I stood, still as possible, and listened, I heard the leaves on the trees rustle, despite the fact that the day was still. I turned around to present these findings to Miguel, and discovered that he, much like myself many weeks ago, was gouging a piece of bark from one of the trees to collect as a sample. I am not proud of how I reacted, as it involved a lot of screaming and lunging and possibly some tears, but I am proud to say that the bark was returned, rather violently, to the depths of the forest when I hurled it with all of my strength. Interestingly enough, throughout all of this, Daryl, 
whose curiosity rivals my own, stayed back. Stayed back quite a bit, actually. Even when I picked him up and carried him, or tried to lure him with treats, he twisted and ran as soon as he came close to crossing the threshold into the darkness of the forest. When I finally gave up and sat down next to him in the grass to watch Miguel take pictures of plants, I saw why. The beast, or at least something resembling the beast, was lurking not too far into the forest. Neither myself nor Miguel had noticed it because it blended into the trees. As quietly as I could, I pulled out my camera and snapped many, many pictures, shoving them into my pockets to develop as soon as I could. I zoomed in, I got wide shots, I got so many that it would be impossible for the beast to erase itself from the photographs this time. And then I very calmly demanded that Miguel get back in the car so that we could get the hell out of there. When we returned to the townhouse in which we were staying, I rushed to the kitchen table and unloaded my pockets, spilling countless photographs everywhere. To my surprise and enjoyment, I had captured the beast. Not literally, of course, but on film. Regardless, it was a victory. However, it looked different. It wasn't the bear-like, lumbering creature that I had encountered as a child. No, it looked emaciated. Its limbs were thin and long, its ribs visible through its skin. Gone was its coat of matted fur, the only memory of it held in scattered clumps across the beast's pale flesh. Its claws, though, remained as formidable as ever. It seemed to have developed a hunch, no longer standing as tall as it had when it had chased me through the sunlit forest. Its neck curved downwards into a dog-like head, its skull visible through skin stretched tight across the bone, and with two long, sharp teeth jutting out down past its chin. Perhaps the most terrifying of the unsettling pictures was the last I had taken. Because the beast was looking at me. Miguel had pictures of his own, however, they were less exciting than mine. The plants that he had photographed seemed to portray the same winding, ivy-like pattern of darkness across their stems and leaves that I had seen in both the other forest and my own plants when the bark infected my home. As Miguel described it, it looked as though the roots of another plant were eating them from the inside out, or something like that. His words, not mine. Can you believe he wrote an encyclopedia? It's a good thing he's reading in the bedroom, or else he would have thrown something at me for that. We were at a loss. We had a ton of pictures of unexplainable and undiscovered phenomena, and a limited supply of our usually extensive studying materials. And so, reluctantly, 
We tabled everything in favor of waiting until we returned to our respective homes and could do further research. We spent our last few days in Potsculch around the town, shopping and eating and trying to forget about the all-consuming fear of that which we could not understand. When we parted ways, it was bittersweet, but we both agreed to try and not let the interesting experience in the sunlit forest taint our lovely week leading up to Pot's Day. This actually brings us to last week's episode, which I recorded after returning from our trip. Now I can finally explain Miguel's phone call. Something he kept getting caught up on was that what he had seen in the sunlit forest felt familiar, and not just in the context of my experiences in the other forest, which he knows about in depth. He called when he finally uncovered the association. It was a sort of case. I guess it was more of a study, or perhaps an investigation. Yes, we'll call it an investigation during his university years into a forest that seemingly burned down overnight and without flames. Him and a small group of colleagues were tasked by the man who technically owned the forest with figuring out what had happened. When they arrived on the scene, they found a withered, darkened forest with few remaining trees. It looked as though most of them had fallen and rotted into the ground. He unearthed some pictures he had taken of shrubs and salvageable tree leaves because he recalled them having a strange pattern. He sent the pictures to me, and sure enough, the damage on the leaves in those pictures was identical to the damage on the leaves of the plants in the sunlit forest. During the investigation, Miguel and his colleagues couldn't say definitively that the forest had burned down, but they also couldn't figure out what had happened. The best that they could come up with was that some sort of illness, a disease, if you will, rotted the forest from the inside out. When they brought this up to the owner of the forest, he confessed that the forest had changed leading up to the incident. The flora darkened and withered, and the fauna disappeared completely save for what he could only describe as a large, bear-like creature that lumbered through the trees. Upon hearing that, Miguel and his colleagues returned to the remains of the forest, where they looked for any sign of the creature the man described. On the trunks of some of the fallen trees, they discovered claw marks, and when they approached what they thought was the center of the forest, they found what looked to be a large tree stump, the sickliest thing there, black with decay. That, out of everything that Miguel mentioned in the call, that was what interested me the most. When I returned to the other forest, if you'll remember, in a fit of fear and rage to destroy the wretched bark sample, I saw a stump just like the one Miguel described, located in what I believed to be the center of the other forest. It only makes sense that there is one in the sunlit forest as well. That is what we are here to figure out. 
It is obvious that the sunlit forest and the other forest and the forest from Miguel's investigation are related. And judging by what happened to the forest from Miguel's investigation, there is a very real danger present. Miguel and I plan on venturing into the sunlit forest tomorrow, and perhaps the day after that, and maybe even the day after that, in order to study and unravel the mystery surrounding this disease and the strange beast that seems to be connected to it. It is unlike anything that has ever been documented. We are discovering something new, dear listeners. I hope you await our findings with anticipation. So long, for now. Thank you.